Alvis, welcome. It's really good to see you. And um, so, uh, I, I, I guess there'll be quite a number of folks who, who may well have known you since you were knee high to a grasshopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a young uh, young lad uh, here, but quite a few folks for whom um, you'll maybe be, be new or who are new to you. Uh, so, first question for you this evening: What, what is your relationship to, to, to Hebron? Uh, Hebron is where I grew up. Um, um, I, I was born in Dubai, uh, lived there till I was nine, and then came up to Aberdeen, uh, lived, moved to Union Grove. Uh, and then found the nearest church to us, I guess, and we've been coming to Hebron ever since. Uh, we were down in, is it Thistle? Thistle Street. Street. And then, uh, yeah, so been, been at Hebron ever since then. And, uh, uh, grew up here, went to Sunday school, Bible class, uh, was helping out, uh, on tech for a number of years, uh, was here for my uni as well. Um, uh, I started off doing engineering, switched to theology, and then I, finished my time here uh, uh, during COVID when I moved down to London to uh, do some ministry training. Excellent. Really, really helpful. And um, uh, great to have you back. Really, really good to have you back. Um, you, you touched on there what you've been doing the past little while. What, what is it you're doing right now? So what, what, what are you spending your time doing at the moment? Uh, so I'm a pastor in training at a, a church in Dundee called Central Baptist Church. Uh, I've just finished my first year there. Um, uh, it's, a, it's just a great opportunity to get uh, opportunities to preach there and be under the, the, the leadership of two of the pastors there, Jim Tarrant and Stuart Keir, and uh, get involved with the weekly activities. I'm, I'm in charge of the Bible class ministry that happens in the, in the mornings, and I'm also in charge of the student ministry in the, uh, in the afternoons on Sundays as well. Uh, mornings, we're going through Hebrews with, uh, with the kids. Afternoon, we're going through... Exodus. We started that last week, uh, and and I'm also preaching uh, once a month at least. So it's there's a lot to juggle with that. But there's also uh, uh, I also get training externally. I go to Glasgow once every two weeks um, uh, to uh, be part of the pastors training course, uh, which is run by Cornhill Scotland, uh, and uh, and that's just a really good opportunity to meet other guys who are in ministry, who are already pastors. Some of them are in the same stage as me, and. Uh, get encouraged by one another and study and get involved. This this year, this term, we're looking at the doctrine of God, which is heavy stuff. And it's, but it's been so encouraging, and it's already enforcing how I think about preaching, how I think about praying, how I think about my Christian life, and how I want to serve the local church as well. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Really encouraging. And um, <clears throat> sounds like you're busy though, mm-hmm. plenty on your plate, and uh, which means we're very, very thankful that you've. You forced your way through wind and waves this afternoon to come up and, and join with us this evening. What, what in particular could we be praying for you as, as a church family? Yeah, I'm, I've been praying a lot uh, about the type of ministry I want to go into in the long term. Uh, my time in London was really influential. The place I was in was, was quite rough and was part of a really uh, difficult uh, housing situation for many people. Broken households, broken families. Um, and low-income people, really, and and it, that, and something I quickly realized was that area really needed a local church uh, that kind of came from that own that that place where people could relate to the culture there. And coming back up to Scotland, I think that's the type of ministry I want to carry on uh, with. And so my prayer is that God's preparing me for some form of inner city ministry in one of those difficult areas to actually plant a church in one of those difficult regions. And that, that's quite challenging, and it's overwhelming just saying it out loud. Uh, it kind of means that I kind of have to go for it. <laughs> but 
uh, yeah, it is something I'm praying about, and, and I would really appreciate your prayer, because it it's not an easy thing to do, and, it's, and to prepare for a context like that, you need some metal as well, and, and just, and, and yeah, we need God's, I need God's grace, and, uh, and he, he needs to be the one who's leading, so please do pray about that um, for me. Wonderful. Again, really, really helpful to know how we can pray and encouraging that those are the lines you're thinking along. I'm just going to lead us in, in prayer for Alvis just now. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we, we thank you and praise you that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are kind, that you oversee all things, that you are in control. And therefore, thank you for your grace and kindness in, in bringing Alvis to, to, to Hebron as a nine-year-old boy as he moved to Union Grove. We thank you for his upbringing here, for the many warm relationships that he, that he had growing up here and continues to have around the Hebron church family, for the blessing that, that many folks have been to Alvis and that Alvis has been to many folks here at Hebron. Father, we thank you for your leading and guiding of him, not least over the past two or three years as he's explored training for vocational ministry, Thank you for his time in London, that that was a formative spell for him. And thank you now for the, the, the position you've placed him in at Central Baptist Church in Dundee. We do pray for that church family, for your, your uh, ongoing help and guiding and leading of the leadership of that church family, and, and your help and guiding and leading of, of, of Jim Turrent and Stuart Keir as they uh, help to train other folks in vocational ministry, and particularly as they look to train Alvis. We pray, Lord, that they would please be a help to him and that Alvis would be an encouragement to them. We ask, Lord, in the meantime, you please be giving Alvis everything he needs day by day and week by week to keep up with the various demands that he has placed upon him by the, the responsibilities he has, both with Central Baptist and with his, his, his training, his external training, going to Glasgow um, at the, the, the um, pastor's training course. Lord, we pray that this time would be, again, uh, formative for him, shaping and molding him, not just um, as a Bible teacher, important though that is, uh, but shaping him as a Christian, as someone who loves you very, very much uh, and, and uh, walks in your grace day by day. And Father, for the future, uh, we, we thank you that we can look to the past with, with thankfulness for your hand upon Alvis's life. And as we turn our eyes towards the future, not knowing what tomorrow may bring, never mind what two or three or five or ten years down the track might bring, uh, we, we entrust all of that into your hands, uh, asking for your ongoing leading and guiding of Alvis. Thank you for the sense you've given him of a desire to serve you in a vocational way, and if possible to do that in a, in a city-type context. Father, we pray for your, your ongoing help of him to discern where that might be and what that might look like. In all these things, Lord, we know that um, as, as we make plans and, uh, and, and try and discern what you would have us do in the future, uh, that we have to entrust ourselves into the hands of one who is, who is sovereign over it all. And we thank you that that is the safest place where we can entrust ourselves because your hands are good and kind. We ask all these things entrusting ourselves and entrusting our brother Alvis into your care and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Alvis. I'll ask you back up in just a, a moment or two to, to, to read and to preach. Good evening. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, could you please open it to Proverbs chapter 9, please? Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, starting from verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. 
She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a man, to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you're wiser, you're wiser for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling to those who pass by, who are on, going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask God, uh, God's help to this evening. Father, uh, we come to you uh, humbly, uh, knowing very little for ourselves, Lord. But we know that you know all things, that your wisdom is immeasurable. Help us this evening to see you clearly. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, so that we, you would make us wise for salvation. Help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. This chapter is all about the coming together of two characters. Both these characters are very, very different from each other. In fact, they oppose each other. The first character we meet is the woman wisdom. She represents God's wisdom. Well, the other character is the woman folly. And she represents the foolishness that exists. The chapters leading up to Proverbs 9 are from two loving parents. Parents who want the best for their son. The parents introduce both wisdom and folly to their son. They urge him to pursue wisdom. And they make a strong case to the son about all the benefits of seeking wisdom. They also urge the son to avoid folly like a plague. They point out how, his, how disastrous it is to be tempted by folly. As the, as the readers, we have also been invited to listen into this conversation between 
parents and the son. And we too are urged to embrace wisdom and to reject folly. In chapter 9, both woman wisdom and woman folly are brought side by side for us to compare. Both of them are hosts inviting guests into their homes. The question is, which home will we enter? The obvious choice for all of us this evening should be wisdom, right? The benefits seem too obvious for us to, for us to miss out on. However, choosing wisdom's invitation over folly is more challenging than it would first seem. Folly seems to have her ways of tempting us away from wisdom. She can powerfully draw attention all to her. The side-by-side comparison in chapter 9 will help us, I hope, to tell the difference between wisdom and folly. And my prayer this evening is that we accept wisdom's invitation into her home and not be tempted away by folly. Both voices are calling out to us. We need to figure out which voice belongs to wisdom and which voice belongs to folly. We must listen to the right choice and enter the right home because the difference is a matter of life and death. The risk is too high for us not to pay attention to the right choice. I'd like to begin by first thinking about why it's hard to tell the difference between wisdom and folly. They're so different, and yet we often struggle to tell the difference between the two. Let me draw your attention to wisdom's call. Let's pay particular attention to her target audience in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom is not calling out to wise people. You'd think that wisdom would invite the wisest people to her home. Instead, she's calling for simple people. People who are not wise. When you think about it, why would wisdom call out to those who already are wise? After all, it's a simple who need wisdom. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick who need one. If you assume that you are naturally wise, then surely you don't need wisdom's invitation. We've already eaten wisdom, thanks for the offer, but I'm full. No, we need to see that we are in dire need of godly wisdom. We need to acknowledge that we are simple. And wisdom's invitation is for simple people like you and me. But it's not just wisdom's call that is to the simple. Look at verse 16 and compare it to folly's call. Look at what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. Folly is deceptive and crafty. She's made her call identical to wisdom's call. Not only is she doing, going after the same target audience, she's saying the exact same thing. It's like when you've received an email from your bank. And in reality, it's not your bank. It's from an internet scammer. These scammers trick us by making the email look remarkably similar to a real message from our bank. And they go to the efforts of looking and sounding just like the people from your bank. And they do all of this to scam you off your precious savings. 
Folly's identical call is meant to do the same. We often fall for folly's call because we are simple. Wisdom selflessly invites simple people like us to make us wiser. However, folly invites simple people because we are easy targets. We are vulnerable because we are simple. We are easy targets. And that's why we need to wise up as soon as possible so, we, so that we can guard ourselves from folly's trap. As I said earlier, the risks are too high if we respond to the wrong call. Look at verse 18. But he doesn't know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of shale. If we are tricked by folly and enter her home, it will lead to death. It's like entering a tiger's enclosure. We would never survive that. But look at what happens when we enter wisdom's home. In verse 6, wisdom says, leave your simple ways and live. Wisdom's home is where life is. And folly isn't the only option for us. We have the option to live by accepting wisdom's invite. It's a matter of life and death, which is why we must learn to tell the difference between the two. First, we see the difference between wisdom's modesty and folly's sensuality. Wisdom's modesty and folly's sensuality. It seems like a small detail in verse 1. Have a look at that. Wisdom has built her house, and she has her seven pillars. Other than, other than the fact that the seven pillars probably represents wisdom's perfection, these verses don't seem that significant. However, I think it demonstrates wisdom in her perfection. And as perfect as she is, she's also modest. Wisdom is not flashy or show-offy. Wisdom doesn't draw cheap attention to herself. Wisdom's pillars are solid, and she is inside, and she isn't flaunting her beauty on the outside to attract us. Even look at how she invites people to her home in verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. She isn't shouting, look at me. Wisdom herself is not in the high places. She sends out her young women to the high places. And it's all for our benefit. So that we can hear and respond to her invite. She has a modest approach to passing on wisdom. A lot of the wisest people that we know carry this modest demeanor, don't they? Think back to the people who gave you sound advice and godly advice. In most cases, these people are humble. They aren't trying to prove how special they are. They aren't trying to make you think that they are important. They aren't seeking your attention, are they? They humbly offer advice so that you would grow in wisdom. I'm sure there are loads of people like that in Hebron who come to mind. I certainly benefited from receiving wisdom from humble people as I was growing up. That's what wisdom's modesty is like. It doesn't stand out, obviously. And that's why it's not very easy to spot at times. Ironically, however, wisdom's modesty stands out when you compare it to folly's sensuality. Look at verse 13. The woman folly is loud 
She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat in the highest places in the town. Folly is very outward. She is blatantly seeking our attention. She does so by being the loudest. She knows nothing, and so she has nothing valuable to offer us. But that doesn't matter. All that matters is that she has your attention. When we see folly's approach, uh, we, we actually often see folly's appro- uh, approach being used publicly, don't we? Uh, for people like Donald Trump. It's very obvious an example when, uh, of, of, of Donald Trump craving people's attention. However... We also see this sort of behavior much closer to home, don't we? We see this sort of behavior sometimes in our families. We sometimes see it in our workplaces. And even sadly, sometimes we see this attention-seeking behavior in church. It's the person who always cuts you off when you speak. The person who always, who always silences you and never lets you, to get, lets you get a word in. It's a person who demands, your atten- demands everyone's attention in the room and craves it. And some people seek attention by being controversial for the sake of being controversial. They don't contribute any real wisdom to complex problems in our culture. All they do is add toxic fuel to the fire. We saw earlier, didn't we? Wisdom remained in her house and sent her young women out into the town. By comparison, Folly is sitting at the door of her house. She's making herself very easy to spot. She's even going to the highest places in the town. Wisdom isn't willing to expose herself like that to get attention. It's not in her character. She also knows how simple we are. She won't take advantage of our simple, sensual cravings, like folly does. Instead, we see her God-given beauty when we truly get to know her. Wisdom is beautiful, but we won't see it if all we're looking for is immediate satisfaction. However, folly takes full advantage of our sensual weaknesses. She has nothing good to offer, so all she offers is immediate satisfaction of the flesh. I hope the difference is obvious. Folly tries to mimic wisdom's invitation, but she has nothing valuable to offer. So all she can do is draw attention by being loud and offering immediate satisfaction. That is the exact opposite of wisdom. Wisdom is not trying to draw attention. She's modest. She's not trying to look impressive. Keep your eye out for wisdom's modesty and don't be distracted by folly sensuality. That's how we can tell the two apart. When, when you listen to someone, whether that's in, in person or online, I, I, I hope that you use these skills for yourself. Ask yourself, why, what, and how? First of all, ask them, why do they want your attention? Is it because they crave your attention? Or is it because they selfishly want to offer you something that is good for you? What are they saying? Are they being controversial for the sake of controversy? Or are they helping you navigate through the challenges of life? How how are they keeping your attention? Are they being loud and saying the wildest things? 
Or are you going back to them because you recognize the valuable advice that they have to offer? There are lots of voices competing for your attention, particularly online. Some are wise, but most are foolish. I pray that asking these questions will help us listen to the voice of wisdom and guard against the voice of folly. There's another big difference between wisdom and folly. Uh, The difference between what wisdom's home and what folly's home is like. Wisdom has prepared a hard work feast while folly is feeding us a stolen meal. So let's compare wisdom's hard work feast and folly's stolen meal. Look at verse 2 with me. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom has prepared a real feast for her guests. She is offering the best that she has. There are a variety of choice meats on offer. She's prepared plenty of it for her guests. She isn't holding back with her drinks either. She's offering the finest mixed wine. You'll also notice that the animals for the feast and the fruit from her wine belong to her. She has fed. It's her animal. It's her fruit that she's mixing. She has fed and grown the animals herself. And she's picked the fruit for her wine in her own garden. It is all locally sourced organic food. And it isn't just any food. And it isn't just M&S food. It is wisdom's food. Who wants a carvery when you have been invited to wisdom's house for dinner? This is what receiving wisdom looks like. It is like a great feast for us to enjoy. It is like a feast that truly satisfies. When God is offering you his wisdom, it's like he's offering you a massive feast. He's offering you the best. And God doesn't hold back when we receive his wisdom Wisdom's table has been set so that you can feast and be satisfied. Anyone who listens to her voice and responds to her invitation is welcome to this feast. Do you see that in verse 5? Come, eat my bread and drink the wine, of, the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The invitation is open to all of us this evening. We must respond to wisdom's invitation if we want to enjoy godly wisdom. You will not be disappointed. It is an an invitation to have insight into the very wisdom of God himself. Wisdom has worked hard to prepare her meal. Folly, on the other hand, is the epitome of laziness. All she does around is sit, uh, all she does is sit around in verse 14. And she knows that nothing, uh, she knows nothing, and she also does nothing, and she has nothing good to offer. It reflects in what she offers to her guests in verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Folly hasn't even prepared her meal, she is serving up stolen food. Wisdom's beautiful feast of meat and mixed wine are far better than whatever folly offers to our guests, aren't they? It's obvious which house that we would go to for dinner. Wisdom is obviously the best choice. Yet so many people end up in folly's house for dinner. 
So many crave folly's water and folly's bread. And that's because folly takes full advantage of our simple, sensual cravings. She appeals to the, the sweetness of the water and the pleasantness of the bread. Again, it is the physical things that folly promises to satisfy. And isn't that reflected in our world? Money, sex, and power, physical things? Folly even tells us what makes her water sweet and her bread pleasant. The sweetness comes from the fact that the water is stolen. And the bread is pleasant because it's our little secret, isn't it? Folly has tapped into the most rebellious side of the human condition. She knows how much we enjoy breaking rules. There's just something about breaking the speed limit when we're driving, and isn't isn't there? There's something exciting about that. We love the rule breakers in our favorite TV shows and film. Whether uh, there's a TV show called Breaking Bad where the story is about a man who makes illegal drugs, it's a very popular uh, TV show. Um, and people like it because there's, there's an edge to it. It's, it's illegal. It's, it's wrong. And you see the character get worse and worse. And on the other hand, there's also people who really enjoy Love Island because they, they like the drama of, of seeing partners being unfaithful to each other. We are attracted to what is wrong. We crave the forbidden fruit. And all it's, and it's all exciting it's exciting to keep a secret. Advertising companies are experts at using this. Uh, this is how they often convince us to purchase their products. Like the chocolate ads are all about indulgences, aren't they? They go for the, I know, I know we shouldn't have another bite, but it'll be our little secret. It's a very common way for, to draw our attention. Spreading rumors causing arguments and procrastinating are just some of the things that we do that we're not supposed to, that we can easily hide away, that no one else can know about. And we cannot avoid talking about the issue of internet pornography in this discussion. It, it's a danger because it's wrong and that's what makes it exciting. Hiding a sin like pornography is easy and I guess it adds to that excitement, doesn't it? Porn is that dangerous combination of being forbidden, and it's also easily kept a secret. Folks, it might not feel like it, but following folly into her home is risky. You're risking your eternal life while you indulge and while you keep these sorts of secrets. This is folly's territory that you're in. In verse 18, it is clear, this is where the dead are. We all need to hear this. But the writer of Proverbs is well aware of how many people will reject his correction. He is well aware that people will mock him for his wisdom. Look at verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. But do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. The writer has said that, said what he's needed to say. He's shown the way of wisdom 
and how to avoid folly. And it's up to us to respond. And what he's basically saying here is that he is not going to waste any more words on the, on the mockers. And he's not being harsh. He's being firm. These things are too serious to take as a joke. These are matters of life and death. He's not going to have banter about these issues. The writer's wisdom is aimed at those who would who wisely listen to him. Look at verse 8. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The benefits of receiving godly wisdom are immeasurable. They are so good that even when you're being told off and even when you're being corrected, you will love that advice. And even if, if, you, if you think that the, uh, if you listen to the writer's advice this evening, you will be wiser and you will never regret receiving godly instruction. It will make you a wiser and godly person. If you want to know where to start to receive this type of wisdom, well, look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and the years and years will be added to your life. If you want to tell the difference between wisdom and folly, you need to begin by fearing the Lord. The Lord who fully revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness and wisdom of God. Like wisdom and our seven pillars, Jesus is perfection dressed in humility. He doesn't call out to you to satisfy your immediate sensual pleasures. He calls, out, he calls you out to his banquet so that you can enjoy a feast overflowing with godly wisdom and eternal life. Some mocked and scoffed at Jesus while he died on the cross. Many thought that Jesus looked like a fool. But the truth is, as we read earlier, Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And on the cross, Jesus fixed our rebellious and sinful hearts. He gave us new hearts. Hearts that can discern wisdom from folly. Hearts where... Uh, the Spirit of God Himself dwells to help us resist folly's temptations. Listen to Jesus' wise instruction. Fear Him as your Lord, and He will make you wise for salvation. Through Him, you will receive eternal life. And it is all for your benefit. Listen to the voice of wisdom. Don't mock it. Let's have a look at these final words that I'm going to read in verse 12. And then I'll pray. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The choice is there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are wise beyond comprehension, Lord. That you are the God of wisdom, that the whole of creation has got wisdom woven into it, Lord. And we thank you that you are our source of wisdom. Lord, we recognize that we are simple, 
and that we are in deep need of your great wisdom. Because without it, we are lost. Without it, we are so easily prone to wander. And um, we are so easily led by folly's call. Lord, we recognize that that is where death is. And the dangers of following folly are eternally damaging. Lord, help us to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wisdom personified. We thank you that we can call out to him and that he has first called out to us. We thank you that he is perfect and humble at the same time and that his call is one that we can feast on. Lord, we can feast on the wisdom that he gives us. We can enjoy and be satisfied through him. We thank you that in Jesus we are being made wise for salvation. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us and helps us to discern folly from wisdom. Help us, Lord, to resist folly and to pursue and go after wisdom. Lord, we love you and we want to be um, serving you in wisdom, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.